Hello, everyone. I am that Weems guy, and returning tonight is the the man that John Hearn wants to be when he grows up, and that is David Cagle. David, tell everybody hello. Hi, folks. Yeah, Happy da- to be back. David has been on for a couple of episodes previously, so this will be number three, which I think puts him in second place right now, perhaps a tie for second. So he's moving on up in the world, folks. And he was mentioned in, in a recent episode by uh, Mr. Gary Greco as well. Awesome. Gary's a great guy. There you go. Uh, speaking of previous episodes, I'm happy to report that we have hit an all-time high for our 30-day average. Uh, we have hit 280 as of the time of this recording. Um, and our string of every episode getting 200 plays in the first week got broken a few episodes ago. But the 30-day average is continuing to rise. So, and that's not YouTube numbers. That is all straight from the from the podcast. Um, David, if you would take a few minutes just to remind our audience uh, who you are and what you do. So, my name is David Cagle. Um, I'm a full-time law enforcement officer in Oklahoma, right outside the Oklahoma City area. And right now on the side, I work as an assistant instructor for Daryl Bulky and Wayne Dobbs at Hardwired Tactical Shooting. I uh, was super blessed because I got in pretty early in the training community. Um, I ended up falling in with Paul Howe when I was like 17 or 18, just kind of through luck. Um, so I was exposed to some really good training from a pretty young age. So while I haven't been a police officer that long, I've been exposed to really good training for a lot longer period of time. So I've had some good time to consider my own TTPs on training and things like that. Yeah, you started training with Paul four years before you were old enough to be a peace officer. Yeah, I, I started training with Paul a long time before I could carry a gun. That was for sure. That was always a little ironic. <laughs> well, there you go. I've heard stories of uh, someone here in Georgia who somehow managed to get through an academy at 18. And their agency made them leave their gun at work because <laughs> they weren't 21. But they could carry it while they were on duty. But that's not yeah. what the law says. But that was what someone's interpretation of it was. But, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff just happens out there. It sounds about right. Yeah. All right. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about training versus practice. And David, if you go back and listen to the first episode with him, has done quite a a trip around the training world. He has already mentioned that he started with Paul Howell. I know he's gone uh, through multiple levels of the Range Master Instructor Corps, plus a lot of their their uh third level classes um i know he's trained with larry mudget multiple times and he's done a trip through a lot of the notable modern technique uh instructors uh, who am i leaving out david uh so just some people i've trained with i'm gonna have to make everybody drink immediately because you mentioned modern technique so eric gelhouse over at gunsight Scott Reitz, John Helms, Larry Mudgett, kind of the trio there. Obviously a lot with Daryl and Wayne before I started working with them. Um, You've already mentioned Paul Howe. So then Scott Jedlinski, just a lot of guys like that. Brian Hill, Reed Hendricks, a lot. Uh, Rob Hott and Matt Hott. Tom Givens, like you said. Um, Ernest Langdon, just a, a fair number. Dave Spaulding fair number of fairly notable people so so you you spend a lot of time in classes it's fair to say is that correct yeah i i do my best i definitely do my best 
All right. And do you see many of the same people in those classes? Oh, yeah. That, that's something that anybody who, who's been taking these classes laughs about. You know, I was just talking to someone when I went down. I drove down to Beaumont, Texas to go train with Dave Spaulding. And uh, it's like an eight hour drive for me from where I'm at. And I automatically knew like half the people in the class mainly through range master connections and things like that. But one time I drove, I drove all the way out to Pennsylvania um, to train with the Van Comp guys to do an armor class on the 870 and then the Mossberg 500 series. And it was hosted by uh, Tim and Ashton, who a lot of you guys know. And so I showed up for that in Pennsylvania and I knew again, probably at least half the people in the class. So it's almost scary how few people actually take classes because you're going to run into the same people no matter where you are in the country. Yeah, I think I've mentioned this before on this show that uh, I took my first open enrollment class in 2014. In 2016, I saw a picture from a big event in Ohio and I either knew personally or was familiar with over half of the people in the picture. And so it, it yeah. is the, the same people attending classes with all of the various instructors on, on a regular basis. Um, so what have you noticed as far as trends in that? Okay. Well, real quick, I want to flash back. I just realized that, uh, so I didn't mean to leave anybody out when I'm listing all the people that I've trained with, but I did want to make one note that probably one person I've trained with almost the most, I've trained with Bill Rapier, like 200 hours. He's been a massive mentor to me so definitely don't want to leave him off that list um but going back seeing some trends with the training versus practice thing i mean you have to break it down into what is training and what is practice because a lot of people label it the wrong way you always hear people saying things like well you know i trained myself you actually can't train yourself really because training is being instructed by an instructor you can't self-correct and call it training. So training is when you show up and you take instruction from someone else who corrects what you're doing. And a simple definition is that training shows you what to practice. So then you go into practice, which is simply repping the material that you learned in training. And we spent basically the entire last episode talking about training and how I thought people should set up their training and the order in which they should take training. And I almost felt bad about it listening to it afterwards, because to me, the practice side of it is at least equally as important, if not more important. And we really didn't get to touch on that. So my overarching principle with training versus practice is that put simply people, a lot of times train too much and practice too little. And you always hear people saying you can never train enough, blah, 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 which is true when put in context. But if you're not practicing in between, you're not going to get any better. And so that's what we had kind of talked about with the pre-show is you see kind of a trend of people who have taken all these classes and they're not getting a lot better. And my personal diagnosis of that is because they're not practicing in between. Now, if you show up for training and you're learning all this stuff to rep and you have all this amazing material in your head, but you haven't, you know, paid the man enough in practice to, to actually get competent at it. You're not going to get much better. Yeah. 
I tend to see that as well. That I see people over and over and over in classes, both my own and, and you know, when I go as a student or at, to other instructors, because I have to be trained as well. It's a constant process because I need someone else watching me to see what I'm doing. Um, and then as I go and help other people, I, I see a lot of the regular people come into classes and some of them never progress. They come to a lot of training, but it's obvious that they're not going out on their own after attending a class and practicing what they learned in that class to try right. to actually burn those skills in. Absolutely. And that's, I've seen it, you know, time and time again, there's, there are always the guys that show up and, you know, we call them the, the, that guys of the class and they show up and they're talking about how great they are at shooting and they're bragging about all of the different classes that they've taken and how they've trained with this guy and this guy and they talk a lot and then it comes time to shoot and the things that they should know from the classes they keep talking about, they don't really know. And that's just something that I've always found a little funny is that if you're not practicing in between, you're not going to be able to sustain it because you really can't get significantly. Well, let me phrase it like this. Once you hit a certain point, a certain level of competency, you're not just going to get a whole lot better in a two day class when you're brand new. I mean, yeah, you'll get multitudes better because you can be corrected on your major issues, but once you kind of have your major issues figured out, when you take a two-day class, you're not going to get, you know, a notable level of skill performance until you start repping the material. Yeah, and to that point, when I first discovered IDPA years ago, you know, I went out thinking that I was going to be, I was going to cakewalk because I showed up to all the cop classes and was always in the top three. And I show up, well, surely I can beat all these people that don't carry a gun for a living. And I got a rude awakening in my very first match. And then it was like, oh, there's a different level of good out there. So I went and I practiced to get immediately, you know, see a, see a rise in my skill level. And that was just the difference in learning to sh the difference between shooting against a part-time and shooting against a running clock. Uh, I quickly rose as far as classification levels concern but most of the time my trigger time was at matches versus actually going out and preparing for matches right and that's just not a way to get better um you know i, I quickly moved like say shot right up to the expert master line but i never could get over that and i never did perform at that level in matches because i wasn't going out and practicing skills most definitely. And that, that's one thing I, I've noticed with myself is I went through a period where similarly, I was taking a ton of training classes. I was trying to almost any weekend I could, I was trying to get into class and just learn as much as I could and all this stuff. And it got to the point where I wasn't practicing a lot in between because I was taking so many classes. And so I actually started to see skill decline. Um, I couldn't sustain the level that I was at when I was hitting the range, you know, two or three times a week to practice, even though I was taking all these classes, I wasn't getting significantly better. And I think we all kind of fall into the, the ego stuff I was talking about. So kind of a funny story I always tell people is I just been through the range master advanced instructor course 
and uh, I'd shot the match at TACCON and done fairly well. And I basically, I had a little bit of a big head at the time. And I was like, you know, I really don't need to be going out and shooting twice a week and, you know, doing all this boring stuff at the range. And I'm pretty good. And so I went and took uh, Kyle DeFore's two-day pistol class. And uh, anybody who's trained with Kyle knows where I'm going with this. And so it gets to the hat qual, which his hat qual is 10 rounds from the holster on a B8 um, at 25 yards in 20 seconds at the time. And you have to shoot a 90 or above. So I really didn't practice it because I was like, I've done well in all these other classes I've been to, you know. So I get up there and you have to shoot a 90 to pass and you get a hat. That's why they call it the hat qual. So I went up there and just hammered a perfect 89. <laughs> and uh, a perfect like, 89. There you go. Yes. And it was one of those, anyone who shoots B8s knows, like I walk up there and I'm trying to find any excuse to call one a line break. And Kyle's just like, nope. So it was good. I, I, I got humbled and had to go back and be like, well, I guess I'm back on my regular practice regimen. So it was good. Yeah. You know, and, it, and it's funny. And a lot of it depends too on the things that you choose to emphasize in, in, in your practice. Um, I chased the, the clock game for a long time. I chased the speed. Uh, you know, cause I was trying to get better both as a defensive shooter and on the competition side. So I chased that whole speed thing for a long time. And then I've learned that sometimes I could hit, would have great days. And then sometimes I would have days where the, where the wheels would come off. And now my days where the wheels would come off are still better than some other people's good days, but not like what the true, true skilled people, like the masters and grandmasters and everything were doing. And so I began to focus on consistency. And absolutely. And while, and like I, I began to focus on the question of why on this day do I, did I go out there and was it lights out? And this day I went out there and it all felt the same. It all looked the same, but the results weren't the same. And the problem was I was focusing on the results instead of the process that was getting me there. And so I began to look at what can I do to more consistently perform where I want to be and be no misses being acceptable. And I know that runs contrary to a certain school of thought out there as far as pushing yourself. But you and I both attended a very basic level class. Mr. Larry Mudgett. Yes, we did. And that was two months ago, roughly. And I've been going out and working hard on those skills. And it's been amazing at how much it has refined everything else. Absolutely. You know, my, uh, my mentor, Daryl Bulky, who no one's ever talked to me for more than like 10 minutes without hearing a Daryl Bulky quote, but he was talking to me the other day and he's, and he said this on several podcasts, I think, but you know, going shooting should feel like going to the gym when you're doing your own practice. It shouldn't be this fun thing that you show up and, you know, it's exciting and you're doing all this new stuff. You need to be showing up and working on whatever it is you need to work on. And anyone, especially listening to this podcast, everyone knows exactly what they need to work on. When I say, well, what do you need to work on with your shooting? Everyone has something pop into their head. Mine is currently 
my strong hand and support hand only shooting. Um, I need to pay a little more attention to that. I've gotten a little off balance there. But that is to say, you know, I know what I need to be working on, um, what my areas are, because, you know, we have assessment drills and things like that. So if you're not showing up to the range and putting in work on a regimented practice schedule, I mean, you should basically have a workout plan. John Hearn, oh, I hate saying positive things about Hearn on podcasts, but he posted a picture the other day. He was going to the range, and I think he had like 50 rounds, and he had it perfectly written out what every single round was going to be. He was like, I'm going to come up and was like, I'm going to shoot a test and then I'm going to do like eight single draws and then like a five yard roundup or something like that. It was just a bunch of drills, but every round he was firing, he wasn't just going to walk up there and start, you know, if you go up without a plan, you go up and shoot one. It's not where you want. So you shoot another one. So you just start hammering. And before you know it, you just mag dumped an entire magazine into the target doing nothing. So you really have to have a, a regimented practice uh, plan before you go to the range, because if it's not like going to the gym, you're not getting a lot better. And what made me think about that was when you're talking about consistency, that's all it is. If you're consistently going and you're consistently working on the things that you learned in training, you get better period. And I actually, so it's funny you mentioned the Larry Mudgett thing because Larry Mudgett has almost ruined training for me because I will show up to the range and I'll mess up something and I will know in my head what I need to do, but I don't want to sit there and skip load, but I know I need to. So it's uh, significantly less fun now to go shoot because the way that Larry has fixed all my issues is not the funnest thing in the world. Well, you know, he had, he had a key phrase or a very influential way of saying it. And it was like the skip loading thing was putting money in the bank. And exactly. you had to put money in the bank so that you had money in the bank to withdraw. Mm-hmm. And that everything else that you did were withdrawals from the bank. And then you had to go put more money in the bank. And, you know, it's funny. I have found that to be true just in the two months where I really dived into his his methodology on that because I've been running it a lot of people through uh, that process. And I had a guy at the range just this past week who is a 20 something year peace officer who sat there and said, well, I just, I wish I'd had this years ago and et cetera. And I said, well, I've been telling you all this stuff for 13 years now. Well, almost 13 years now, because that's how long we've worked together. I said, but I finally found a language in which you would have to tell yourself. That's a really good way to put it. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because similarly, uh, I don't know if you've been keeping up with it on Facebook or not, but we have, Daryl's been coming up and doing a lot of classes uh-huh. up here in Oklahoma because he's working on moving up here. And so he's been volunteering a lot of the time to kind of help our cops get better. And he's been doing his training habits of successful pistol fighters lecture, which is basically a a four or eight hour lecture on how to practice, how to train, how to do all these different things. And it has kind of revolutionized firearms training out in my area. Cause you know, you're never a prophet in your own land. Nobody listens to me, but when 20 year Southern California peace officer, Daryl Bulky comes in and tells them they're a lot more receptive to it. So I've been able to get people to practice in way more effective ways 
And just as an example, two of my best friends that I work with are a couple of guys that just had not been exposed to a ton of really quality firearms training. They had the spirit. They would go to the range and practice, but their practice basically consisted of putting up one of our state standard cleat targets and burning mags at it. Uh And so they wanted to get better, but you know, it's not their fault. They'd never been to quality training past the academy. So they had no idea how to practice. So I got with them afterwards, got them exposed um, to some really good practice methodologies. And so we started doing things like we'd burn a test or a super test or five yard roundup and ID something and then, you know, diagnose an issue here and work through it and stuff. And so my buddies, uh, Trey and Tanner, they are now just monsters at shooting compared to where they were because, you know, they'd spent years trying to get way better um, on their own and it didn't really work, but they got this much training from me and then practiced what I was showing them and they're just multitudes better. And my buddy Tanner specifically, I'll give him a shout out. He's an Oklahoma County deputy, but he got to the point where his weapon manipulations were really good. His gun handling, super solid. Uh, all of the things he was doing, his recoil control is good, but he was having some issues with his trigger press. That was his last thing was everything was super solid. And I mean, he'd even shoot super tight groups, but you know, just a little low and left every now and then. So I took him to the range one day and we did nothing but skip load. And I was like, man, if you want to get better, you're going to have to come out here on your own. And the only thing you should do is skip load. Cause I'm like, you're, you're doing fine on all this other stuff. Your draw speed's great you know, all these other isolated skill sets that we've been working on, you're doing really well. So, you know, continue to dry practice these and do all your stuff. But I'm like, you have to isolate this issue in practice. If you want to hit, you know, your, cause you've kind of hit a performance plateau. And so he took it and he's been going out and doing the old Larry Mudgett marksmanship matter, skip loading and, you know, put him over the top. So I am a true believer in, practicing the right way right you know i'm sure your experience is you know you're a fairly young firearms instructor as far as when i say young i guess i should say chronological as far as years of experience doing it amongst cops yes sir and i know that what it's like to be that new hard charging instructor and to have all sorts of enthusiasm and you get whoever and the agency has the juice to send everybody to the range with you. And you go out there and you teach this class. It's the best training that they've ever seen. And you're like, great, I'm going to. And, and then two months from now, I'll have them back out here on the range again. And they'll have practiced everything that I've taught. We can, like, we can, we can start where that class ended. And then you get out on the line and you just get your heart ripped right out of your chest. Yep. Have you experienced that yet? Absolutely. You know, you're we talking a little bit in the pre-show about you can't expect people to have retained everything you taught, which to me, initially coming into law enforcement, I spent obviously most of my time in the private sector of firearms training where you have people who are paying out of pocket, who are showing up, that want to be there, that want to learn all the things that are heavily personally invested. So I'm like, well, yeah you know, of course they're going to be trying to retain all this stuff and know it. And then you get the guy that's been a peace officer for 30 years and uh, 
you know, he's never had to use this stuff. So uh-huh. why, why are we putting such an emphasis on it? And uh, that guy, it's going in one ear and out the other. And so that's one of those places where I think Paul Howe was just such a huge influence on me because Paul kind of taught me how to distill things on such a, because the beauty of Paul's system is how insanely complex it is once you look into the details of it. But on the surface, it's so simple to teach people and have them retain it. So just being able to teach people some basic stuff that they can't forget, like even if you're barely paying attention, things that are so simple yet, I don't know how to put it profound that they, they almost can't forget it as an important thing. So I've basically been taking people and, you know, focusing on one thing with them. So we'll have cops that no one's ever taught them literally how to press a trigger correctly. And so they're hammering through the entire trigger press. They're not taking the slack out. They literally, they don't take the slack. And, you know, a Glock is basically a two-stage trigger. You have your slack and you hit your wall there and press from there. Not these guys. They're just hammering through that whole thing. So, you know, out into seven yards, they can grip that gun hard enough to hold it on target. But past that, they're just a nightmare. So I'll take those guys. And the almost the only thing I'll work on them with is, hey, take the slack out of the trigger and just trying to get them to do that. And most of the time, you know, that'll almost cut their groups in half you know wayne dobbs said something to me to me one time that was very profound and that is no it wasn't wayne that said it it was uh it was either wayne or sherman house one of them said it both well you know while wayne is a luminary and sherman is not sherman is a very educated man and so we should listen to what he has to say and sherman may one day be a luminary but rich grassy hasn't bestowed that title on him yet um one of them told me, said, if I try to tell someone everything I know, I don't tell them anything I know. Yeah, that, that is a great quote. And it I can't really remember is. which one of them it was that told me that. Um, and I started looking hard at my presentations that I was doing to our personnel. And I'm trying to get out there and trying to teach them all of this stuff and the whys and the wherefores and everything on, on the range. And they're tuning out and just, okay, when you blow the whistle, I'm supposed to draw and fire three rounds. Okay. And none of it was sinking in. Uh, And that ultimately is on me. That's not on them because I had to find a way to reach them. And, you know, that's, that's the big challenge in this world. And that's regardless of whether we're dealing with cops or we're dealing with private citizens. We've got to learn to speak in a language that they can understand that they can they will retain um dave spalding is very big about saying you know the most important thing is getting the gun between you and the bad guy yeah (laughs) yeah when you think about that's pretty simple it is yep another thing i heard from daryl you know block out the scary thing with the front sight so basically the same idea and what you're talking about you know with not overloading people and not talking too much and training and things like that I mentioned him previously, but uh, Reed Henricks of Valor Ridge, one of my best friends, um, just a great guy. I've learned a ton from him. He's been a huge mentor to me as well. And we were hanging out one time and just talking about things. And we were, we were watching some firearms instruction thing. And he was like, you know, I want you to watch this and how long these guys are talking in between the students doing anything. 
and he's we timed it and it was some dude talked for like 13 minutes or something just insane without the students doing anything and he's like do you think these guys remember anything about what happened minute one versus what the guy's talking about now like it's a totally different subject so it's one thing that's kind of stuck with me is especially with my brother cops whom I love dearly you can't give them very much if you're talking more than I don't know like five minutes they're completely losing your point so giving people they called it so I just went through the Oklahoma version of they call it basic instructor development but it's one of the classes that you're required to teach you're required to take if you're going to teach classes and I went through a version that was taught through uh, LSU's it's the Academy for Counterterrorism Education and fantastic class um, taught by a bunch of LSU PhD professors and stuff. But they went over this just a basic adult learning theory principle of chunking. You know, you take ideas and you put them together in these small bits and that's how you give them to people. And so if you're not chunking your information into these smaller pieces, especially guys that aren't, you know, luminaries like Wayne Dobbs that haven't been doing it for 50 years they're gonna have no idea what you're talking about so that's a big thing that a lot of people have hammered into me from Paul to Reed to Daryl all these guys you've got to keep it simple for people I will agree that chunking is a good way to teach skills and to learn skills but for the graduates of my recent instructor camp will tell you that the way to practice skills and truly learn them is to interleave them. So that's your project after tonight's show. You have to go look up interleaving. Okay. And you're going to have to give me a book report the next time we talk. Perfect. Does Lane Thayer also have to do this now? Oh, he will now. He will now. Yeah. I'll text him when we get off off, off from recording that, uh, that I'm judging you both on, uh, uh your presentation which by the way you still owe me one on the push pull technique for the shotgun that is very true that is very true yes for the listeners who don't understand our reference here lane thayer and myself are in the very informal firearms instructor graduate program of lee weems texting us at random times and giving us strange firearms training homework to do so Right. And they, they have to submit submit book reports or video reports to me on these various topics. And I, I am judging them and comparing them against each other. Exactly. So. So, uh, so interleaving, that's what you need to need to look up tonight. OK, will do. All right. Uh, tell us about that program from LSU since you mentioned it. Oh, man, it was. It was just awesome. And so they call it it's the instructor development workshop. and it's kind of through that FEMA style of courses. So I think the uh, course ID for it's like management 335 or something like that, but it's called the instructor development workshop. And I've been at this point, I added it up. I've been through about four, 450 hours of instructor focused training from all of Paul Howe's instructor courses, the range master stuff, all the way up through the master course, uh, John Farnham's, a DTI instructor course. I've been to a lot of instructor courses. So I'm fairly well um, comfortable talking to people and, you know, public speaking and all that. 
So I showed up to this course and I was like, well, I'm really interested to see what they're going to be teaching people compared to kind of what the firearm side of things is. Cause I, I hadn't really taken, you know, I've taken defensive tactics instructor courses, but I had never taken a course that was an instructor course on instructing. And it was three days, 24 hours of training. And I can honestly say, I texted Daryl um, on, I think the second day and said, this is one of the top 10 best classes I've ever taken because it was nothing but three days of instruction on adult learning theory and how to teach people effectively, basically how people learn. And so it wasn't tied to any kind of specific training program, firearms or legal or defensive tactics or anything like that. So you could apply it to anything. And so I feel like personally, for me, it's one of the most useful things I've done with my time recently, because it was just a massive bump in knowledge. And I think I talked about this a little bit um, on the, the last podcast that I was on, but going to experts in the field is the best way to learn anything. So, you know, I wanted to learn rifle stuff. So I went to Paul Howe. And, you know, you want to learn defensive tactics stuff. So you go to a guy like Chuck Haggard or the guys up at the National Law Enforcement Training Center. And you pick all of these experts in the field, like Caleb Causey over at Lone Star Medics or Kerry Davis at Dark Angel. And those are the kinds of people you should learn from. So I was sitting in this, they called it the IDW, the Instructor Development Workshop. And I was like, you know, these are the experts on how people learn an adult learning theory and all this stuff. And they were the ideal mentors for learning that stuff. So the classes, they do them all over. Um, it's through LSU and they're federally funded through a grant. So I think they said they have like 400 instructors nationwide, but if any of you guys have the opportunity to go take their instructor development workshop, especially firearms instructors, friends, I would highly, highly recommend it. So that was a lot for you asking just to tell, <laughs> tell about that class. But once I get started, you know. That's all right. Uh, it was not the case when I came up through the system in Georgia, but it is now. Uh, before someone can get certified to teach firearms or defensive tactics or any of the, quote, specialty skills, they have mm -hmm. to complete the 80-hour instructor techniques class. Uh, yeah, the public safety training center before, which is way more than 80 hours. It's just all the credit that you get. Um, they have to complete that and get certified as what we call a general instructor before they can even go do the firearm stuff. Uh, back when I was coming up, you could get certified as a firearms instructor and then work alongside with someone who was a general instructor to, to sign off on your courses. But uh, that's that's one of the advantages of being an old old hat like I am now. And um, but, you know, one of the things that I find in a lot of these courses is that just on the pure instructor side is they tend to focus so much on the formula. And by the formula, I mean, you have to match this exact format. And it's not really teaching how to think about developing material and how to right. actually plan a course and put it together. And so kind of like I've talked about with in institutional firearms instructor skills is they teach you this one set of skills and then you have to kind of go learn the other things on your own. That's kind of been my experience of having gone through uh, 
the instructor training here in Georgia. I've gone through the FBI's. I've gone through numerous others. And kind of like with farms, I go take a bunch of them and then kind of compare. And then finally, I just invented my own. So, uh, yeah, that that's one thing. That's one thing that I got from Bill Rapier, who I mentioned previously of American Tactical Shooting Instruction, is he always talks in his class, you know, you should be, you should think that your system, whatever you do, is the best system in the world. Because if you didn't think it was the best, why would you be doing it as far as training and things like that? So these guys that teach instructor courses of their material, I totally get it because they think it's the best out there. And so they want people to teach their material. Like, I don't know any other way you could really do a firearms instructor course other than doing that. And that's why I think it's now such a cool thing to go just take a course in straight up instructor development, not tied to anything because every instructor course that I've taken almost was so focused around the specific course curriculum of the person who was teaching it, that it didn't do what you're talking about, which is, you know, foster that ability to just teach whatever and come up with your own stuff and develop things and, you know, foster that desire to create. So. Right. There is a whole field of academia on, on instructional design. And I delved into that when I moved into my current position because, you know, because I was going to be teaching full time. I wanted to get much better at it and come up with a system of developing stuff. And, you know, the Addy model is one of the big ones. And it came out of military stuff from the 50s, uh, World War II, the moving on, especially in the 50s. As someone, they get so wrapped up in their process that you get stuck in this loop in their process and so there are simpler ways to do that but i do think that you need a plan as an instructor for how you're going to present the material and then as a student you need to develop a plan for how you're going to take that material and how you're going to practice it most definitely and circling back to what we talked about at the beginning the the practice side of things it's just as important as your own. If you're a firearms instructor and you're developing this curriculum for your students, you need to be developing practice curriculum too. It's not just, I'm going to teach them this. You have to teach them how to practice that. So I know a ton of instructors, Paul Howe, one of the things that he does in his, I want to say basic, but it's his kind of basic level class. Um, it's not basic material but it's his first step in training is his TAC pistol operator class or TAC rifle operator for the rifle side of things. And in each of those classes, he does a, an entire module on how to dry practice because, you know, dry practice, it's free and it's probably the number one way people get better. So he does an entire module in his class. Hey, when you go home, if you want to practice this stuff, if you want to practice this tonight at the hotel, this is how you should do it. So, so he goes over an entire module of how to do dry practice, which I thought was just genius. So I think that's a big thing that instructors need to take into account too, is yes, you're expecting the students to practice all the things you're teaching them on their own, but you might specifically tell them how to practice it on their own. 
it's funny you should mention that because I have brought that up to several of our in-house instructors. Like we keep telling these guys to get dry practice. When have you worked with them on how to dry practice? And yep. uh, you know, one of the things that I've been pushing here lately is you should never press the trigger during dry practice. Because you know the gun's not going to fire provided you have cleared out, you know, like you're supposed to. But you know the gun's not going to fire. So psychologically, you're never going to flinch. You're never going to do any of these other things. So your dry practice should be all about the weapon manipulations, proper presentation, et cetera. And then we go skip load. And then we combine all of that into live fire practice later. And that, since I've been adopting that approach for my own practice, it's been amazing how much more consistent I have become. Really? Yeah, that's interesting stuff. And that's the kind of thing that I think is so cool about when you take all of these people that are coming up with their own systems of how to practice things, because that's kind of a unique perspective on that. So just getting everyone has their own idea of what practicing is like. So when you get people and you're like, Hey, got to practice your material, it means different things to everybody. So yeah, I set up a dry fire range in my office and I lock my actual carry duty gun away so I can't make the mistake of drawing the wrong gun. I lock it away and then I get a blue gun. And I practice all my presentations to my various targets that are part of my dry fire range and or dry practice range in case Bulky listens to this. And you know, I practice all my presentations different manipulations if I need to do, do something else. And then I go put the blue gun away and I say, all right, I'm done with this. And I go get my, my carry gun back out and put it back on. And yeah, then I can go to the range and do the skip loading. And that gets my dry fire or dry practice with the trigger done. Um, and then I do drills where I combine all of that. But uh, yeah, I, I just, if you're pressing the trigger on a gun that you know is not going to fire, I don't see what much benefit of that is other than initial learning of the trigger press. I do like the idea of when you're talking about using a blue gun for all this stuff, the redundancy on the safety end of it too is kind of a big thing because I've seen certain people that get so heavily invested in dry practice because like I said, I'm a huge proponent of dry practice i think you'll get multitudes better using it but they do so much dry practice that they almost get lazy with the safety side of things because they're handling a gun that's not that's not loaded so much that the the four safety rules become less important to them almost and they almost start picking guns up assuming that they're unloaded rather than they are loaded and the number one example I always think of is that is Bill Jordan, one of the greatest shooters of all time um, on the quick draw stuff and spends hours a day dry practicing and getting to the point where he can drop an aspirin and shoot it before it hits the ground. Just all of this superhuman stuff. And, and he ends up shooting and killing another Border Patrol guy through a wall because he did the all, well, I'm just going to ha- get one more rep picked up the loaded gun instead of the unloaded one. So I think that is something that you have to talk about with practice is you can't practice to the point that you're getting lax on your safety. You have to have that built in. 
Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be people out there that disagree with the statement that I just made about pressing on the on the empty gun. I just know on my own, since I have adopted the approach that I have, when I were previously would dry practice with an empty gun working on that trigger press, I knew that the gun was never going to fire. And so there was no even there was nothing to work on other than just pressing the trigger. And I didn't get, I would wonder why when I would go actually do live fire, how come now I'm doing other things? And yeah, I just don't see the benefit of it. For me, I know what my gains have been since I quit doing it. And you know, if you're listening to this and you diametrically disagree, or however the word is, and you really disagree and you want to come on and tell me I'm wrong, uh, contact me. We'll see what we can work out. I'm all about, you know, letting some people come on and, and tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> well, I can tell you just, I totally understand the rationale there. What it's done for me getting presses in my, in my dry practice is I've been making the transition. I've talked about this, I think on on your show before i've been making the transition to the dot uh shooting pistol with a an rmr mounted on it on duty and now i'm to the point after going through get ready to drink again guys after going through gale house's uh gun sight 250 the pistol mounted optics version i got to the point where i was comfortable enough carrying a pistol with a dot on it and when i'm doing my dry practice the dot keeps me so much more accountable on my trigger presses because the dot just gives you so much more feedback that I was able to refine pressing a trigger in dry practice to a point that I never was when I was shooting irons because I couldn't see the movement in the irons. So I would think I would be having these perfect trigger presses and then, you know, you shoot a B8 at 25 yards and it's not a hundred. So obviously you're not doing something right. So going back and just pressing a trigger a ton and refining the grip on my pistol with a dot on it was a big benefit to me personally. Yeah. Uh, I've seen that a lot in the skip loading with a dot gun. Uh, yeah. That was, that was stuff that was stuff that never showed up for me. Just dry practicing, pressing the trigger with an empty gun with a dot on it. That, that just never showed up because I had this rock solid grip and the gun didn't move. Yeah, but now when I'm mixing in, is it going to go off? Is it not? And everything else that to me started showing uh, some of my error. Um, now I will say this with the, the practice regimen that I just described, I did have a blue gun with a dot sight attached to it. And that's how I refined my presentation. And you have one of those ones that Doug built? Yes, I, I do. Unfortunately, I broke the dot off the top of it. And uh, so I have not been able to repair that yet. But uh, it's great, crazy thread pitch. And you know, we can't find the screws that'll match it. So I'm going to have to do something else okay. with that. Um, but hey, there's more than one way to do a lot of the things we're trying to do. Absolutely. What would you like to talk about tonight that I haven't asked you about? Hmm. You know, I think we've covered the, the subject pretty well. That was coming into this, going back to what we talked about at the very beginning. I have just seen so many people that I, and I may have mentioned this on a podcast before, I try and reiterate kind of the main points um, that I go over. 
I was talking to Paul Howe at one of the classes, um, one of the first classes I was helping as kind of an assistant instructor in training. And so he was giving me a ton of instructor notes and just going over the whys of everything. And there was a dude that just could not shoot at all. But it was weird because his gear was squared away. And, you know, normally if, if somebody's going to be messed up, you can kind of tell by looking at how their gear's set up. And this dude had just the appearance of, okay, this guy will probably be decent at shooting. He wasn't. Um, he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. And so I asked Paul, I was like, has he trained here before? And Paul said something along the lines of, you know, he's taken almost every class we have out here, but he never practices in between. So if you take two classes a year and then you don't practice for six months in between, you're not getting any better. You're just not. You'll, you'll get better to the point that you might grip a gun correctly and overall sort of press a trigger the right way, but not to the point that you'll ever make a notable boost in skill. So I always tell people, if you only have enough money to maybe take one class a year or one class every two years, that's fine. Go to a good class, learn what to practice. If you go to a class like first responder pistol, shameless plug by hardwired tactical shooting, uh, it teaches you what you need to practice with a pistol. So if you take a sort of, I'll call it fundamentals based class like that, and then you just go and rep the material on your own, it's a really good way to get better. And from then on, the classes that you're taking are more of a check to see, hey, am I retaining this correctly? Am I practicing what I've been taught the way it's supposed to be rather than am I practicing it the wrong way? Am I misremembering something? And so that's where your further training kind of comes in and reinforces just the fact that you're able to practice correctly. So another quote from my buddy, Bill Rapier over from Amtac shooting is he does a, he calls it a pistol fundamentals block in any of his classes involve pistol shooting. He'll generally take four hours and go through. He has a pistol fundamentals system that kind of works all of the, his required skills for his system. And he always says that, you know, when he started training cops and some military guys and stuff like that, they were like, Bill, you can't tell people we're doing pistol fundamentals because, you know, all these guys think they're past the point of, you know, your basic pistol fundamentals. And, you know, Bill's a funny guy. So he just said, yeah, we're, we're going to keep calling it pistol fundamentals because, you know, you never get past the point where, where you need that. So. I think that that's a good way to just kind of think about it is you always want your training to be rooted in the fundamentals. Obviously, once you get to the point that you have a solid grasp on what to practice and you're doing well repping it on your own, you want to grow and learn more things to practice and go to more advanced training and things like that. But if you are not solidly rooted in what you learned through your own personal practice, you're not going to get a lot better. And I've got to practice what I preach because I'm sitting here thinking about my whole description of the dry practice regimen that I just laid out. I've got to come up with a much more articulate way of describing that and making my point than what I just did. So all of the people who recently just came to my instructor camp, yeah, I just gave myself an assignment. 
So that we, that was my two minute uh, speech that you all had to do. So now I've got to come up and do my own. Uh, in my camp, I gave everybody an uh, impromptu two minute speech. And then later on, they were able to come back and present that topic again later after having given it some thought and planning. And then we compared the results. And so I guess you and Thayer will get to see my, uh, my homework when I, I uh, get a little more planning and thought behind what I was going to say. Uh, you did talk about in the pre-show that we'll start with this and we'll see where it organically goes. And we stumbled into that. And so I guess now I've got something I can work on. So thank you for that. You've given me something to practice. Awesome. That's the goal. You know, that's one of the things that I love about like your podcast and Brian Eastridge's podcast. And some of these are, you get people talking about what I consider to be an interesting topic most of the time. And you just kind of see where the conversation goes. And a lot of times we end up talking about something completely different, but it's generally worthwhile stuff to be, <laughs> to be talking about. So I've, I've always found it to be an effective way of making a podcast. Not that I have my own podcast. But. Well, thank you. Well, you can. All you got to do is flip a switch. I did. Hey, that's what I hear at the beginning <laughs> of every episode. Accidentally, because I had no intention of getting into this. Uh, what you got coming up? So I'm actually at kind of an interesting point in my personal career as a firearms instructor. Um, you know, everything I've done up until this point has mainly been doing AI stuff. Um because I've really been trying to just mentor and or to get mentored and get mentored by all these guys. So I've done a ton of work as an assistant instructor, but I'm finally to the point uh, uh, where I need to be teaching my own stuff. So through my police department, I'm teaching several patrol rifle schools and some things like that coming up that will be my first real classes as the full-on lead instructor for a multi-day firearms training class. So gearing up to do that and kind of move into my next phase of the instructor stuff. So if you're in Oklahoma and you're a law enforcement officer that needs a three-day patrol rifle school, November 19th, 20th, and 21st, come out to Jones. We'll hook you up. Well, there you go. So remember what we talked about earlier in the episode, distill it down to the most important thing they need to know. Absolutely. And, you know, especially with a rifle, there's lots of things that you can get off into the weeds on. Um, yes, so there are. It down am, to the most, go ahead. I'm a high level gun nerd, so I'm fully capable of getting off in the weeds when it shouldn't be. What? So I'll put you on the spot here and ask you a question. What is the most important things you need thing that your students need to understand about running a patrol rifle? Well, outside, obviously no matter what I'm teaching, I'm going to really hammer on the safety and the four rules and all that. But once you get past kind of that basic, you're not going to shoot yourself level mechanical offset. Got to cover you. it. Yep. There you go. Uh, what I have found is no matter how much you drill that, how much you teach it, how much you preach it. Once you put the students under press, they go right yep. back to trying to run that dot. Exactly. Yep. And so that's, that's one thing. And I know Hearn has a whole class on that. And you've, you've done a whole class on kind of just the mechanical offset problem. And I, th I think it's interesting to see because it's like LAPD. I think one of their only bad shoots ever is a mechanical offset issue or mm -hmm. LAPD SWAT. You know, you never get trained to the point that you got to stop reinforcing that. If LAPD SWAT can do it, you can forget it too. 
So 100% something that I really try and harp on in my patrol rifle school. Yeah, it's why I don't like the AR-15 as a general purpose law enforcement or private citizen protection rifle. Love them. Got, got numerous you know, models. They have a place. Ah, that mechanical offset, man, that, that's a booger bear. And, you know, I think we'd have been much better served if it's one of the things that if I could go back in time and say, all right, wait a minute, boys, before we head down this path, let's look at this other design over here that does not have this inherent issue. I think we would have been better served for a patrolman standpoint or for a private citizen standpoint. But that ship has sailed. The AR-15 is America's rifle. It is the most commonly available rifle that there is. And basically, you can do anything you want to with it. So I'm not preaching against the AR. It just would not be my first choice. I totally get what you're saying. And I think it's funny that you look at all of kind of the major designs of rifles that proliferated during that time period. The AK has more or less the same exact mechanical offset problem that the mm -hmm. AR does. You're kind of hard-pressed to find one that doesn't. And I'm a bit of a Eugene Stoner fanboy, I must admit. So, you know, just the benefits of his system, the fact that more or less we're using the same exact thing. We, we have slightly modified accessories, but if you showed up to a patrol rifle school with a late 50s model AR-15, like the Air Force adopted, you wouldn't be too far behind. So I think that's kind of a crazy thing to think about. And for me, I think the mechanical offset is a trainable issue, but one you just definitely have to be cognizant about. So I will accept that as the main drawback, as opposed to all of the benefit that the system offers for a modern law enforcement officer. There you go. There you go. Well, David, thank you for coming on tonight. It's always fun to talk with you. And, um, you know, you need to, to keep setting a pace for Hearn to keep up with. Uh, we, we appreciate the fact that you're making him struggle in his old age to, uh, to still be relevant. Perfect. Well, John Hearn tries to tell me every time that we talk that he hates me. So, Hearn, if you're listening to this, I just want you to understand that I understand that you hate me and I'm telling myself today. So, he, he, he doesn't it. hate you. He's just jealous. <laughs> now, Hearn, and I say this every time we talk about him, Hearn has been a big help to me in, in this whole journey of firearms training. You know, I met him very early on and he's a great dude. So you and Hearn, all the range master guys, I'm just, I say it every time I'm on a podcast. I'm so incredibly thankful for all of the people that I fell in with because Without Paul Howe, without Daryl, without Bill Rapier and all these guys, I have no idea where I would be. So very thankful for all my mentors. Well, everybody's willing to spend all this time with you because you're worth it. I appreciate so how about that? that. All right. Well, folks, uh, thank you for tuning in tonight. Uh, and thank you for your time. <laughs>